what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am the co-director of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival. With me is Chris Fry. Also... The other co of the co-producer and director yes. of the Film Society and the Film Festival. How are you doing, Chris? I'm, I'm doing good. We, we made it. We made it through the festival, Alan. We did. We have been asleep for the last three days. <laughs> we just woke up today. The festival, was our 2018 festival, was just this past weekend. So that's actually what a lot of this, uh, this particular episode, I guess a little more of a special episode of our podcast, is all about. It's about the festival that we had this past weekend. Now, before you hear that and say, well, wait a minute, I wasn't at the festival, so there's really nothing I need to listen to in this show. Don't. Don't be so quick. We actually have some <laughs> things that you may find interesting. Uh, we will be talking about a film during this episode that we did show during the festival, but it is a film that is now available for anybody to check out online, and that is the film American Animals, directed by Bart Layton and starring a couple of uh, up-and-coming actors that you may have heard of. Uh, you've got, for example, um, um, Evan Peters, and also you have uh, Barry Kagan in this film. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to review that film, because Chris and I have seen it now a couple of times each. Then we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will do kind of a recap of the film festival. We want to talk with you about the winners. We had six award-winning uh, films that, that showed at our festival. We want to talk a little bit about that and just some overall just observations and thoughts about the festival in general. Uh, before we do close out our show, as always, with our recommendation of the episode, a film we think is worth checking out, um, mine is going to get derided. I can already predict it, and that's fine. <laughs> I'm ready for it. My recommendation is not going to be looked on favorably by a lot of people, but I'm sticking to it, and I have my reasons. So with that, Chris, how about we go ahead and kind of do this special festival wrap-up episode, focusing first on our main review, which is the film American Animals. Let's do it. This library is home to the most valuable book in the United States. $12 million. You really need to see how easy this is going to be. Oh, you know this from all your previous heists? Can I just say how dumb this entire thing is? How do you know no one's going to get hurt? I don't want you waking up years from now wondering what could have happened and who you could have been. American Animals, uh, directed by Mr. Uh, Bart Layton, uh, is a film that has to do with the true story. And it does play that up very quickly and early in the film. Uh, a true story crime drama where we have four bright, well-off college students in Kentucky as they plot to steal some very rare books from their university's special collections library. Uh, the film includes kind of an interesting mix, I can go ahead and say, that is a very interesting style of filmmaking incorporating both some more documentary-style elements along with the more dramatic elements. Uh, but it stars Barry Kagan and Evan Peters as two of the four gentlemen that concoct the plot, and I guess the main two conspirators of this, of this, uh, of, of this crime. And when the film really talks about not only the lead up to the crime, the reasons for the crime, but also some of the repercussions of having uh, done what they what they did. So, Chris, with that, knowing that we've got a film that's kind of an interesting style mixture of styles involved, it's got some young up and coming actors, maybe not household names yet, but starting to be on that cusp. Uh, you've got something that is based on a true story, which is always an interesting style. Tell me a little bit about just how this interesting mixture of a film, this interesting concoction of a film worked for you. I've seen films before that have tried to do a true reenactment type story. Sometimes I've woven more documentary real style uh, elements and it just didn't work or else it was really boring. 
And I'm curious how you feel like this mixture in American Animals works for you uh, as an as a overall total film package. Well, you and I saw this at River Run back in April. River Run Film Festival back in April, uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Yes. And we saw it, and afterwards, we both liked it. Spoiler alert. And then, you know, we brought it for our film festival, which kind of, you know, hints, hey, we couldn't have picked, I don't think, a better film to bring for a film festival as kind of our, you know, spotlight film that wasn't in contention. Because you're right, it took some risks. It has... You know, blending of kind of a narrative action crime thriller kind of movie, but it blends that with actual footage of the individuals who did this story and their parents. And so, you know, that sounds like that could just, you know, kind of be sloppy or not, not sloppy, but just not really work or be jarring. But it worked for me the way it was blended. And I, I don't know, I feel like the director really pulled it all together and it couldn't be a more perfect film. I do have one kind of misgiving, I guess. I mean, it's not perfect. I guess, you know, every movie has its thing, but there's so much I like about this that my slight misgiving kind of, kind of fades away. Hmm. And it's more of just something picky, like for my personal taste is in a, as opposed to like a flaw in the film, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, but yeah, what, what you kind of hinted at the blending of documentary versus narrative, Going in, I didn't know it was really going to have that. You know, our listeners now will be spoiled that it's going to have that. But I don't think that takes away. It's just something bonus that you can experience with the movie. Just this movie has so much style, Mm -hmm. so much style. Um, And the way they cut back and forth between, you know, the narrative story that's going along and then cut to documentary footage is just well edited, well timed, just very... Very thoughtful. So, so you, after a second viewing, watching it with the festival this past right. weekend with a crowd, a kind of our own local crowd, your perception of the film hasn't really has it really lessened at all. It 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 hasn't diminished. Um, I maybe caught a few more things that I didn't catch the first time around, as far as how scenes were kind of blended or what came next in the storytelling, how they kind of functioned. Um, you know, this movie is ostensibly a heist movie. Um, these guys are trying to steal some art from a library. Um, so it's not a bank heist, but a heist nonetheless. And, you know, it takes from the typical heist film where they show you kind of opening like, okay, they're in the middle of the heist and then they step back and they tell you the events that came before. And so they kind of do some jumping back and forth in time. And then they jump back and forth in time with the whole documentary aspect mm-hmm. that kind of goes on but not jarring and well done. And yeah, there's, there's some cleverness too in the way they show you things. And you think, you know, what's going to go on in the heist because you've already seen that part and then they play up to it and elements. kind. I don't want to give too much away, Sure, no, um, I agree. but it's, I don't know. It's just really well, clever, I, but not cleverness that I think takes away from the film or I feel like is cheating. No. I feel like the way things are revealed and the way things are told are are very thoughtful and something too that I appreciate. Yes, these are young men. They are committing a crime. Um, and it shows them as kind of loving movies and glorifying the idea of like, oh, let's make something fascinating happen in our lives. You know, that can be a very naive young thing to think. And then the movie does not shy away from saying, no, this is real life, even though it's, you know, a fictionalized account, except for where they show documentary footage. But it doesn't shy away from that and it gets intense and you see how it affects people and it's, it's sad. So it doesn't shy, but yet it's still entertaining. It's not heavy handed, which I think could have been a very easy thing to do. Like, Oh, look at these young fools and be very heavy handed and make you not sympathetic to them at all. Yet they still did something wrong. So I don't know what, which, how do you feel about how they blended things? No, I, 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 I'm still really high on this film. Um, and I think the word I heard you use, and it probably is the word that resonates the most with me, is I feel like it's a very clever film. Mm-hmm. And not clever, like winking clever. It's yeah. it's the fact that we have four characters. Four, Really, two of them are kind of the main characters in the group. Sure. Both, I think, really well acted. Barry Kagan and then uh, Evan Peters, yeah. I think, are both really good in this film. And But the fact that one of the two of them is a somewhat unreliable character in our film 
So even when we are presented with real footage of the people right. reflecting back on the story. On the experience, yeah. And we find out that maybe some things were we were misled as a viewer. Mm-hmm. It's not because the film's playing a trick on us. It's because the other people in the film were also somewhat being misled possibly as well too. So that's where I say the whole cleverness works because we really feel like we're kind of a member of their gang in the film where we're being presented the same information the rest of the team is. And the one person that they're maybe all, they think they knew what was going on. They think they knew what this individual was doing with regards to this plot. Come to find out maybe it wasn't. Maybe this person didn't really tell them the truth. Maybe some things were covered up. And we as the viewer feel the same way the other members of that, that group do. So it was, it's clever, but it's not a winking clever. It's say, no, let's put you in the same situation that these other characters are facing. Right. There's uh, the whole essence of time and memory and whether we remembered something correctly. There's the cleverness of kind of blending the real characters with the fictional characters where you would start – a recollection by one of the true subjects in a more documentary interview style. And then immediately is able to segue or cut right into a dramatic version of that same story. It's just a great way of blending these two formats together. And it just, it absolutely works for me. I, um, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, there are four people, four guys who do the crime. It's, you know, I'll just use their character names, Warren, Chaz, Spencer, and Eric. And you're right. For the most part, it's Spencer and Warren's story. Yeah. Um, but I think they do a good job of still showing you Chaz and Eric and kind of some of their misgivings and it, it can't give them equal weight, but it still gives them enough weight that I don't feel like they were thinly drawn at all, mm-hmm. which is pretty surprising considering how little they're in it. I want to touch on one scene where, um, we've kind of talked about the whole blending and how we thought it was clever, but not misleading. And a perfect instance of that is they show, Warren and Spencer are kind of driving up to a gas station mm-hmm. and then uh, Spencer goes out to get in the, go to the gas station. And then they actually have the characters say, this is not how I remember it. And then they cut to documentary footage saying, yeah, in my mind we were driving around in a car. And when we talked about this and then it cuts back to the movie and they're in a car, like they just, they do some very clever, but it kind of lets you know, yeah, this is this is the problem with memory. And I remember it this way. He remembers it this way. And documentary footage actually shows the real-life Warren and the real-life Spencer saying, you know what, I'm not really sure. If that's what he says, go with it. And, you know, you know it's just kind of like it's admitting that memory's not perfect. And I think that that just is really something that's interesting to see done on screen. When they say at the very, with their, again, cleverness in this film, how many movies have we seen that open that say, based on a true story. Right. So instead, this one starts out with text on screen saying, this is not a true story, and then not, and it says, this is a true story. So it's yeah. just, you know, the Not even it, based on a true story, it's just, this is a true this story. This is a true yeah. But like, at first you're like, this is not a true story, and you're like, oh, okay, and then the text is weird, you're like, oh, or this is not based on a true story, this is a true story. Right. And just, yeah, just really clever. So there's the gas station scene I mentioned, and then there's another part where you see the real life uh, Spencer and he's talking, directing to the camera. All the interviews are just like looking right at the camera and Spencer is talking about something. They cut to the narrative portion of the movie where you see Barry Keegan and he is moving his lips and talking and addressing the camera, but you hear the real Spencer's Mm -hmm. voice and just that little, and it doesn't last long. It's just like, you know, two or three lines, but just that carry through just, so much intention and cleverness is done. It's just, yeah, yeah I, I can't, I can't express how much I love it enough. Alan, you and I have kind of hinted or I've hinted at least that I have a misgiving. Are there any misgivings that you have with the film? Um, no. <laughs> okay. No. I mean, really, I, the, the cleverness and, and some of the stylistic choices they make, I feel like it's heavier in the first half of the film. And I do feel like by the second half, it's maybe straight away from some of the cleverness. It's still there. It's right. not like they've abandoned that altogether, but I do feel like maybe it's becomes a little more, it becomes so much more of a routine film in the second half okay. than the first half. That's, that would be my one little misgiving. I and guess. that's kind of my misgiving too, where the inventiveness and the, the ride per se that I was on to begin with, you know, I really was just really jazzed in the movie. The rest of the movie is still good, but basically once they get to the crime part in, you know, they, they've shown it and now they built up to it and they're doing it again. 
I agree. Something, it just kind of the inventiveness disappears a little bit. Now that I've seen it a second time, I think I can give an excuse mm-hmm. for maybe why this happened. I can too. Yeah. I, I feel like maybe it's just the, you know, we were having fun with the first part of the yeah. movie. And now that the robbery is happening, happening, the characters are no longer having fun. We as an audience, we're not allowed to have That's fun. That's kind either. of the way I took it as well, is that this is the show that it may have been all fun and planning and we're reservoir, reservoir dogs and we're doing all this up till the actual moment that we did something wrong. Right. We kind of hurt someone in a way. Absolutely. And we're having to live with that now. So it's no more fun and games. It's no more flashy techniques. It's no more dream sequences. It is harrowing actually right. for a good part of the film towards the end. So I, I, I think that's my takeaway from it too. I do feel like that they, I'd like to think that was intentional that, sure. Hey, we want to dial it back and make this really just grounded for the last 30, 40 minutes of the film while we deal with this. Um, but then it did kind of come back to, at the very end as it's buttoning up everything and closing out the film. It still brings in those same clever uh, narrative elements from earlier in the film. It kind of brings it all back to light at the end. So that's probably my only misgiving. It's not the most even film, but I also think it's not designed to be an even film all the way through. I'll, I'll say, too, you know, I give my one minor misgiving. I want to say I echo your thoughts about how I feel like it was perfectly cast. And also, I'll, I'll say a lot of the cinematography was really like well done. A lot of the shots were interesting. And then um, use of music in the movie, oh, which well, that's yeah. something I didn't really realize the first time as much as this time. I was really conscious of the soundtrack and the use of music and just good it's really good <laughs> it's just really good i also want to call out too and this is it, it's a relatively small role but the role is very impactful okay and i didn't even realize this is who it was the actress in this role but uh playing the librarian okay betty jean bj they call her bj cooch is ann dowd and ann dowd is actually an emmy award-winning actress okay for the handsmaid tale she ah. plays a character in that i have not seen the show but I understand she's really good in it. Okay. And for the part she plays in this film, it's not a it's not a uh, extensive role, and really it's really heightened at one point for about a twenty minute sequence where she's kind of front and center in a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she played it really well, and it was a uh, you're meant to feel. And I hate even using a, a loose term victim, but there is, there are victims to some degree in this crime. They really did a great job with the film of making you feel for the victims. Yes. And understanding that even though the crime on the surface may not seem as harrowing or quite as dangerous or quite as traumatic, you really get a sense of why it impacted the people it did right? to the extent it did. And I think Ann Dowd's performance as the librarian is part of that reason because you have to believe that she was in a very upsetting situation. Sure. And the impact it could have on her as well. So, again, I know we're dancing around the film a little bit, but it sure. is one of those to, you know, even though even though it's based on a true story, there's enough there to not spoil. I think as the story goes along. So, anything else? Closing thoughts on the film? Anything you like, dislikes? So you mentioned some of the actors in it. You have Barry Keegan as Spencer, Evan Peters as Warren. There's Blake Jenner who was in um, Edge of. 17 recently and then he okay. was also in um everybody wants some he i feel like you know if you see him he's one of those up-and-comers and i think the three of them are going to be in more and more films right i'm um, closing out i would like to say um i would love to produce so you know just send your checks in now when you hear this idea because it would be an awesome idea i think uh, a jack white biopic with evan peter's in the lead. Well, yeah, I mean, he, I think, he favors him. I and think, yeah. And just, I think he could do the, and actually, you know what? I think Jack White might go for it if this director directed it, because I think kind of taking that thing of maybe this is true, maybe this isn't true. And just kind of telling a, a, a period musical of biopic yeah, that a way. musical biopic that way. I think Jack work. White would probably go for. Well, Evan so. Peters, I, uh, I'm more and more impressed with the more I see him in oh, things. Yeah. You know, of course he had the roles Quicksilver in the X-Men films, which is a short little part, sure. but easily, I think people's favorite parts of those films, if they're watching those films, he's in the American horror story anthology series on okay. FX. And, uh, uh, my wife's a fan of that show. Okay. So I, it's on in the background. A lot of times <laughs> when I'm there, I, I don't, know what's going on i'm not sure. following it but he's really good okay. and he was actually on the show the episode last night we saw so it's just it's fun seeing him play with different parts in that show as well <laughs> so he's a he's a great actor i'm really he's one i'm kind of interested to see what he does and we'll be kind of keeping tabs on that myself 
So, so it sounds like we're both still very high on American Animals. Yes. Truth be told, we both came out of the first screening earlier in April and we're singing its praises left and right. And here we've seen it a second time. It sounds like we're still kind of in that same mindset. So that's that's good. That's fun. Yes. That's, that's why we like movies. Yes. Right. Absolutely. So American Animals, it is available on iTunes, on Amazon, and every other platform you can imagine renting or buying digital movies right now. And we do recommend, uh, we both highly recommend checking it out if it sounds at all interesting from our conversation. One final note, which I just thought of, um, which, again, I guess it would be more of a news item. But, hey, (laughs) um, interesting that this movie was one of the first movies that MoviePass was trying to champion and push out there. And I think they were hoping it would really be, I mean, they've done, they did Gotti with John Travolta and they did maybe one or two others. But this was like the first one that I recall that they were like big you know, they were big into it. And I wonder, I, you know, if I hadn't seen it at the film festival, I really wouldn't have heard much about this movie, which I think is a shame because I think it's really, obviously, Alan and I are really high on it. And I can't help but wonder if it suffered a little bit from that because it was one of MoviePass's babies. <laughs> so MoviePass was kind of being dragged down uh, through the, through the, through the swamp uh, during the last few months, sure. you know, just with some issues with the membership plans and, how they're doing financial performance. So sure. it wouldn't surprise me if this didn't get quite the push and pull behind it as maybe it, they were hoping for because of some of that other stuff going on. Right. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it is one of those films that didn't get a lot of playtime in cinemas. It uh, went online fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm just glad, you know, with the online distribution, we have a chance to see it easily and people can check it out. Agreed. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do a little discussion recap of our 2018 Foot Candle Film Festival. And then we will close out the show with our recommendation to share of a film we think is worth checking out or revisiting. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on themesh.tv. TheMesh.tv is a podcast network that we are very happy to be a part of, along with other great shows you can listen to. Podcasts are the format of audio or video programs that you can subscribe to. So we encourage you, if you like what you're hearing or want to be a, stay a part of this conversation and you don't want to miss anything, uh, make sure you subscribe to the show. You can go to TheMesh.tv, which is the website for the network, and look up our show, and there's a subscribe button on the page that'll let you do that. Or go to iTunes or Google Play Store or anywhere that has podcasts, Stitcher Radio, other places, and search for Foot Candle. You'll find us, and you can subscribe from that platform as well. However you choose to do it, you've got a way of getting to that subscribe button, and that ensures that you always get every new episode that comes out uh, delivered to your device of choice without having to go hunt it down and find it yourself. So in the Mesh Network, we have other shows that are all free, all able to be listened to a wide variety of topics. So we encourage you to come onto the site and check it out and let us know what you think. We'll give you a way at the end of the show that you can reach out to us if you have any feedback or comments. So Chris, we wanted to spend this episode kind of doing a little recap of our film festival. Again, American Animals was our spotlight film from the festival, so we were really happy to show that. And luckily, you and I both still love it. Um, And now we're kind of talk a little bit about the films that were actually in competition for the festival. We had 37 total films presented throughout the festival weekend of all different categories, short films, documentaries, and feature-length narrative films, kind of a mixture of all formats and styles. And during the course of the weekend, we had three awards that were given. Uh, Four of those awards were judge-driven, meaning we had panels of judges that reviewed the films and determined the winners based on their average uh, ratings. And then we had two awards that were audience-driven by rating of uh, our our audience filling out ballots after every film during the course of the weekend. We had over 2,000 individual tickets outstanding for the festival, a full three days of screening. It was really a great weekend. I think we all had a really good time, other than just being tired afterwards. (laughs) But other than that, I think it uh, went really well. 
But what we want to do is let's just go ahead and talk through the six winners okay. and kind of help everybody understand the films that were at the festival and which ones came out on top, both in the audience and in the judging judge categories. Okay. So first off, let's start with best narrative feature film. Uh, this is we had five feature films in that narrative category, and the winner of this one was the film In Blue, directed by Jacques Van Hudson. Uh, he was not able to join us in person, but sent a nice video message thanking us for the award. But that was our best narrative feature film. We showed that one kind of later in the evening, so not as big a crowd for that film as maybe a daytime show. Um, an interesting reaction from the crowd. I think everybody appreciated the film. It was a little more uh, a, a, a little more off the beaten path kind of film, I think, style-wise and story-wise. I thought it was really well acted. I think the two lead actors we have in the film were both extremely uh, – did a great job. You have any thoughts, comments on In Blue in general? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a it is definitely a what somebody would probably refer to as a tough sit. Yeah, um, it's grueling, uh, dark, gritty subject matter. It's basically a young man who's kind of homeless uh, gets hit by a car, and the person in the car happens to be an airline stewardess, and she is concerned about him, and they kind of strike up a friendship relationship, and. But it's very awkward, and you know they're obviously from two different worlds. She yeah. is, you know, a stewardess who has a life, and he is homeless, and it, um, it's just it's 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 gritty, gritty, grueling. It's not the easiest film, no, to digest and kind of uh, follow along with. But uh, but the judges obviously found a lot of great merit and really enjoyed it. It is a film from the Netherlands, yeah, subtitled film. Interesting discussion film, for sure. One to have a really good in-depth discussion about kind of what all is transpiring and especially the nature of the relationships we're seeing right. on the film are, are very unique and interesting to talk through. So so that was judged as our best narrative feature film out of the five uh, films that we showed in that category. And we also had five documentary feature films. Uh, and the winner for that best documentary feature film award was the documentary Silas. Silas is directed by Anjali Nayar. Uh, it's listed as being can- Canadian film, but it's all shot in uh, you know uh, in, in a Liberia uh, country where we follow an activist named Silas Siakor, and basically he's fighting against what he sees as illegal logging and corruption that's going on with the government there. So not only are we exposed to kind of a little bit of a mini history of Liberia and what's going on with its government's politics. And some of the things that uh, are threatening some of the more tribal communities there. But we also get to meet Silas as an individual, as a person, and his family life and his personal drives. What's driving him to be this activist and to be this tireless fighter for what he sees are the rights of the tribal communities around him and his country as a whole. Um, We show this one as a kind of early morning film. Mm -hmm. So again... Out of the crowd sizes, it's a little on the smaller side than compared to the rest of the screenings. That's pretty typical for our morning shows. But I think the crowd, again, had a really great reaction. The judges really responded well to this film, and it did win the best documentary feature. Your take on Silas? Uh, you a fan of the film? You, you think it yeah, worked Yeah, I, I liked it. Um, you know, it's to be an issue documentary, which I guess a lot of documentaries are. Some just tell a story. This one, obviously, was an issue environmental documentary. I didn't feel like it was... I mean, it communicated the message, but it wasn't overly heavy-handed, and I also felt like it had hope. Um, spoiler alert, at the end, this guy decides to run for office because he mm-hmm. says, that's how I'm going to affect change. He has been an activist, but he says, you know what? I need to go into politics because that's how I'm going to make something happen. Um, so I, I just – I liked it, and I think that um, it didn't – try to overburden you make it too long it was perfect length some of the shots are still really um you know for a documentary it's extremely well shot you get to see too how he tries these different things working with different groups of people just ordinary citizens and handing out cell phones and making them into reporters and kind of helping them to make the government giving them means to try to make the government accountable yeah and so all that you know is fascinating to think about how you know it's not uncommon here in the U.S. You see videos that are shot that get, you know, something with the police, and you see that put up on YouTube or something like that. But this same kind of thing is helping other issues in other countries. And, you know, it was 
Well, even the way they highlighted the technology in the film, I thought was pretty, pretty fun too. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, little pop-up screens that would show what the person's seeing or typing. You see that used in some, some TV shows now and, and other things, but in this film, it worked because the technology was such a key driver of how he was mobilizing people around him to help out. Um, and, I, and like I said in the intro, I think the fact that it spent a, I felt like it was a really good amount of time on him as a person. So it wasn't just this mythical figure of a activist who we just follow like what he's trying to do from a professional standpoint and to try to work with the government and make changes. We see him at home with his wife and his kids and we get some perspective from his wife about what kind of toll his activism is actually having on the family as well. Well, that's, that's yeah, that was really nice. Yeah. They didn't shy away from, you know, the wife saying, yep, you know, he gets up, he goes to do this. And meanwhile, we're here and she worries about him because it is dangerous stuff. He is, you know, we see him at the hospital getting diagnosis, having some, probably some, a lot of stress and anxiety that's kind of affecting them health wise, which you can definitely understand why it would be stressed. So yeah, it was, they didn't, they didn't put him up on a pedestal, but yet they did show kind of the everyday effect that it was having on his wife and his family. Yeah. Yeah, It was just really well balanced and an interesting snapshot of that whole situation. Both the narrative and documentary feature categories are some very strong film competitions and the scores were relatively tight in a lot of these films as well. But, uh, but Silas was the, uh, the overall winner from the judging standpoint of the documentary feature film. Now, talking about a couple of shorts, and these are the other two films that were judged by a panel of judges, uh, we had a best narrative short film. I think we had about 17 narrative short films, if I remember correctly. I think that's right. Quite a large number. But the one that was chosen as the winner was the film Chuchataj, and that was directed by Barnabas Toth and from Hungary, and it was shown during our opening night uh, 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 opening night uh, uh, event where we show all the feature the uh, short films that we featured for the night, and uh, it's a film again. It's a short film, but it has to do with during a professional conference in Prague or Prague. Sorry, uh, two different interpreters in the Hungarian both booth realize that they think there's only really one person maybe listening to their translated version of the speech, and they're trying to figure out who that might be and how they want to carry on the conversation with them. It's funny but it also had some a little bit of drama to it at some points and especially at the end as well um i think the crowd loved it got yes. some great feedback chris you 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 a fan of this film too I, I am and you know with short films um you know you have the challenge of how can i tell a story in a limited amount of time how can i make it interesting what and i think they did the perfect kind of blend of everything where they told a story they did keep it light funny but at the end there was kind of a takeaway message of what had transpired so i i think i'm not surprised it won it seems like it was the perfect you know one for best uh, narrative short film it was the perfect little package yeah it was and barnabas toth the director was with us for the weekend Mm -hmm. at the festival so he got to accept his award in person which Which was was great to always see and uh we're kind of anxious to see what he works on next and hopefully we'll be able to stay in contact with that uh Another short film, our best documentary short film. We actually had a fair number of short documentaries this year. Uh, that number's kind of improved every year as we see the, fi- the films we choose for the festival. And uh, the winner of the best documentary short film was a very unique uh, film, The Likes and Dislikes of Marge Bagley, directed by Taylor Stanton. And what we have uh, with this film is it's, it's a family documentary done in stop motion, felt like animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, telling the lifeline struggle of Marge, who's the matriarch of the Bagley clan, to find happiness. Uh, it goes through a lot of ups and downs of her life, how it's affected her children and grandchildren, and how they see her as the matriarch of the family. And again, all done in stop-motion animation with almost like a cloth felt like a material all throughout as well. Very, very creative, very well done. And the judging the judges obviously uh, felt it was the strongest documentary we had to, to award the to give the award to Chris. I know you, you're a fan of this film as well. And especially from the creativity standpoint, but anything else really struck you about this film? Well, and we did, uh, the director did send a message and acceptance speech. He wasn't able to make it in person, but sent an acceptance speech and he acknowledges, yeah, this means a lot to me. It was a labor of love. It was basically, it was a family story telling the story of his grandmother. 
And so just the fact that if you think about it, it was a story he thought was interesting, but he was like, well, how am I going to tell this? How am I going to make it interesting if I just interview a bunch of people in front of the camera and use family photos? Yeah, it might mean something, but how can I kind of put people in a world or in this time of my family? And so he's like, okay, I'll use stop motion. And he does all So you can tell, yeah, it was probably very in time intensive and just, you know, if this hadn't won best documentary short film, I'd kind of want Funkano to give it a special achievement in, <laughs> you know, a special achievement award in, you know, get up and go, you know, bootstrap or something. Just yeah. the fact that he was able to make this because, um, yeah, it was just really neat. And I, I I just really appreciate, like you said, the the creativity of it. So It, it, it was, to me, as a joy to watch mm-hmm. just the use of the felt and the material and, and the animation. But then to convey some real nice emotions too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some moments in this short film that are pretty, pretty heavy. Sure. And, um, you know, talking about real family drama. And I think it, 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 it put a really interesting view of how we can view family drama without being, you know, I think if it had tried to be acted, it wouldn't have worked as well. And right. I think the documentary could have told the story, but it wouldn't have been as, Affecting is, I think, what we saw here. So it's just a very unique telling of, of a family well, story. And choosing, like you're choosing stop motion as opposed to something like animation. Yeah, I'm not sure animation would have really worked either because something about stop motion, it's you don't have the jarringness of like, oh, these are actors just acting this story with voiceover. But the stop motion, I don't know, it just helps you experience it or I something. I, I like the choice there. It was a daring choice, but yeah. I think it was a, it paid off, obviously. So staying with short films, let's flip over to the last two awards. And these are the two that were determined by audience. So we had rating sheets that were passed out uh, for every film that we showed. People got to rate every film they saw throughout the weekend. And we took the average ratings of both the best short film and the best feature length film to create these last two awards. So during our opening night uh, block, we did show a short film that was judged as or, or, or reviewed by the audience as their favorite short film of the whole weekend. And that was the film Game, directed by Jeannie Donahoe. Donahoe. And what we have with Game is a, a story of a new kid who shows up at the high school boys' basketball tryouts and is pretty good, making an impression, but is having a hard time kind of fitting in with the rest of the team. And uh, some things are kind of learned and observed as this team is trying to figure out how to integrate this new, this new kid into their team. And the coach has some decisions it has to make with regards to this new player. Um, it, it, I have to kind of call it out because I'm a University of North Carolina Chapel Hill graduate, <laughs> big fan of the UNC basketball program, and Mr. Rick Fox plays the coach in this short film, which was a nice surprise for me. Did yeah. not know that before I saw this film. Sure. So uh, seeing him as the coach, one of our star players from the, uh, I believe it was like late 80s, he played for the, the Heels. So he started in this. Uh, it got a great reaction from our crowd. Obviously, the audience favorite. This is their favorite f- short film of the entire festival. And uh, Jeannie Donahoe, uh, award-winning filmmaker. She's out of L.A. And we're really happy to have her um, her film in our, our festival. Yeah, things with short films. You know, we've talked about <laughs> judged, judged Award was something about translation that was kind of light. But that's the wonder of short films and fitting them into the festival is you get a nice mixture. And this was essentially a... Yeah, I mean, sports, somebody playing, people playing basketball and kind of coming of age and the drama of trying to fit into a crowd and bullying. And it just, it provided a nice counterbalance to a lot of the other lighter, sometimes lighter. And we had also documentary shorts, but it just provided a nice balance. So it was good to see it win. Well, plus it had a nice uh, social issue to it. I'm not going to get into it because... I don't want to give away, in case you have a chance to see it. It's a good short film, but it's definitely something we... uh, uh, the, the crowd really responded positively to had a great message behind it. And I think uh, uh, people enjoyed it. So we were happy to have it as our winner of the best short film from the audience perspective over the festival weekend. And then our last sixth and final award of the weekend was the audience favorite feature film. Again, the feature length film out of 10 films we showed over the course of the weekend, which one did the audience respond to the most Really tight competition. We had through several films that were like right within each other's score. But the one that came up at the end was the film In Pursuit of Justice. This is a documentary detailing the, uh, the criminal trial and I guess the conviction and then the appeal of, uh, Greg, for Greg Taylor. Greg Taylor was accused of 
uh, murdering Jaquita Thompson back in 1991 in North Carolina. And uh, after 17 years in prison, uh, was still fighting to undo what he saw as his wrongful conviction. So it follows lawyers and investigators in the state of North Carolina as they're trying to work through this appeal process and have a case reopened to try to find him, see if he could be found innocent or not after all these years. And some of the changes that were done within the North Carolina legal system because of this case is specifically too, which I thought was a pretty interesting part of the film. Absolutely. It wasn't just a uh, crime documentary to follow on, but you actually see that there's some real true impact from this case that affected the state of North Carolina and could eventually affect other states across the nation in the future. Yeah, I, this film seemingly very timely. Um, it is playing some more festivals um, for the rest of 2018. It'll have a general release, I assume, at some point. Um, so if you see it at a festival, I urge you to check it out. Um, then when it eventually comes online or gets distribution, obviously check it out, especially if you are a fan of like the serial podcast, the first season, the current season that's going on where they spend time in one courthouse up in, I think it's Ohio. But if you're one of those people that is interested in the justice system and how it's working, how it's not working, I, I, I would definitely recommend In Pursuit of Justice when you can get your hands on it. The director, Greg Jambach, um, uh, was with us and accepted the award on behalf of the film. But it also, uh, you know, we are also really fortunate to have with us uh, one of the, the main uh, attorney that was kind of involved in the case. And she was a real big advocate and one of the real key proponents of the change in the ability to actually open back up and investigate people who feel like there's been a wrongful conviction and reviewing those cases. So she was able to join us as well, which is great to give us a little bit more legal background on the film project itself. So uh, In Pursuit of Justice uh, really resonated with the crowd. I think people really got behind the story it was telling and the way it was told in a very effective manner, but also seeing the bigger picture of what this story had impact-wise on the rest of the state of North Carolina. So we were really happy to present them with their audience favorite feature film award from the Foot Candle Film Festival this year. And Chris, that was our six winners. So we had six films out of 37 that walked away with an award. But I will say, and not just saying this from a personal standpoint, but I know from a lot of the feedback we've gotten from audience members and some of the surveys we've done afterwards, a very, very high caliber set of films in competition this year at the festival. So we had over 220 submissions, got it down to 37, and then we ended up with six winners that walked away with uh, with the trophies. So. So pretty good, pretty good festival from uh, now that we have that one in the books. It, yeah, I thought it was really successful every year. It seems like quality of films just keeps getting better and better. And um, don't know what we're going to do to set the fifth year apart, but we've got a while to worry about that. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we got to start coming up. Five is, you know, it's kind of an anniversary. Yeah. A little bit of one. I mean, not like sure. a 10 year anniversary, but it's, it's getting there. We got to start figuring out how to step it up a little bit more even so. And, uh, we'll be looking forward to starting some planning on that here very soon. I'm sure come next spring, summer, you'll start hearing us talk about it a little bit more. So that is the foot candle film festival. Uh, I think in general we had out of our 37 films, I believe we had close to 20 of the filmmakers there in some representation. So that's over half. Yeah, of our uh, films had representation from filmmakers there at the festival. And uh, we had a great opening night event with a reception. We had a great closing dinner award ceremony. And we also had two grant recipients that I do want to kind of mention as something uh, not necessarily as film review related, but something just that we're really proud of is that based on the ticket proceeds from the 2017 film festival, the foot candle film society was able to set aside some money to provide two grants to projects that are either under in production or completing production in the state of North Carolina. Filmmakers that applied, we had over 20 applications, people applying for these grants. Uh, our grant committee reviewed and found two that they felt like were probably the best candidates for grant money going forward. Not to say the others were not. I mean, these were all really exciting projects, but it did just come down to saying, you know, Based on the money allotment that we have and available, these are the two projects that seem to have the most uh, the most opportunities for growth and doing sure. some really good things with the film. These two projects, one of them is the film Santiario, and it's going to be uh, directed and produced by Pilar Timpain and Christine Delp. And it is a story about a small church community in Greensboro, North Carolina, that offers sanctuary 
to a woman, a Guatemalan grandmother, who has been threatened with deportation after 25 years of living and working in the United States. So it's actually showing that she's still, my understanding is she's still living in sanctuary right now. And, uh, but it's the relationship of her and her family and how her family feels about her situation, the support she's received from this church community should be a really interesting documentary. And we're excited to see it. It's going to be premiering here in the next few weeks. And we will be looking forward to having a special screening of it here in the near future as well. Yeah, it's obviously very timely, but, um, and from what scenes we've seen from it too, it's just, it's looks really well shot. So it's kind of nice that, you know, production that's going to tell an important story is also going to look great because you know that's kind of important to film snobs like me <laughs> but, but yeah. um no it's just yeah it's really awesome that we were able to support that project yeah and then we have a second project this title and this one's early early in the production so they're still working on the film but it's box brown and it's a film that's uh, directed by uh, rob underhill and will star acclaimed actor and playwright mike wiley and it's a story of a true story of Henry Box Brown, a 19th century Virginia slave who escaped to freedom at the age of 33 by arranging to have himself mailed in a wooden crate in 1849 to abolitionists in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So a true story, it'll be a kind of a dramatic interpretation of that story uh, between the combination of uh, director and producer Rob Underhill and again, the star and the co-writer, Mike Wiley. So that one is in, uh, it's in production. It's been shot a lot uh, of the material. I think they're working on an edit at, the, at this time. So again, it's another one we'll be looking forward to showing here in the near future. We're very excited to be giving grant money to both of these projects. Something that's neat, I mentioned something that was neat about Sanctuario. Uh, Box Brown, kind of foot candle just in the short four years, kind of coming full circle uh, one of Rob Underhill's short films was shown at our first film festival in 2015 and it actually featured the actor Mike Wiley kind of doing a, it was, I believe about, uh, the Emmett Till situation. And mm-hmm. so there was, you know, a little short biography piece that was acted. Um, so now that he's come around and he's doing a feature, we're able to help give some grant money to support that. So, yeah, it's it's there again, kind of nice to see North Carolina film being made. And this guy was kind of a foot candle alum. So it was nice to be yeah. able to. It's nice to be able to say a foot candle alum. Yeah. We've been around enough years <laughs> to have alumni now. So right. that's great. So that's a wrap up of the foot candle film festival from 2018. Uh, had a great time. Thank you, Chris, for uh, being my partner and getting pulling that thing together. I think we had a great weekend. A lot of great feedback, and we'll take a month or so to rest, and then it's back to planning for next year. That's right. Um, We'll mention, you know, speaking of planning for next year, filmmakers, if you're listening to this and you think, man, that sounds awesome, wonder when they're going to start accepting submissions for 2019. Well, wonder no longer. November 1st, we open up back submissions for our 2019 festival. So Film Freeway, November 1st, Foot Candle Film Festival. If you're interested, that's when you can start submitting work. Absolutely. All right, well, Chris, let's move right into our last section of the show, which is our recommendations. We try to, each each time we get together to record an episode, we try to bring up one film that either we recently checked out or maybe got reintroduced to or revisited that we think is worth at least passing along and recommending to the rest of the audience. Chris, I will go ahead and say you're going to outshine me with my pick. You will have a better <laughs> quality pick. You will have one that will get more probably more positive critical feedback from and you're our saying listeners. this without knowing my pick oh yeah right? absolutely okay. so how about if i can go first and let sure. me just go ahead and clear the air <laughs> get this <laughs> get this on the table okay. and then you can bring in your recommendation and make me feel um make me feel belittled for the one i brought up but okay <laughs> i have said for years on this show that as much as i enjoy Independent films, as much as I enjoy art house films, as oh, much as I enjoy I know where this is going, <laughs> I still like films about big giant robots or animals wreaking havoc on, havoc on cities, especially when they star the rock, especially when they star the rock. So I was a fan of the old video game arcade game called Rampage. I loved yes. it. I love that game. Don't know why. Just something about being a giant lizard or a giant ape and just smashing stuff. As a game, it was a lot of fun. It was very therapeutic for me, I guess, in my, in my teenage years. So when I heard they're making a movie 
I'll be honest. I knew this was going to be garbage. I knew it from the <laughs> minute they announced it. I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. Bad. But it's going to be dumb fun, and I'm looking forward to that. Now, you could argue whether you find it dumb fun or not. I found it to be dumb, dumb fun. <laughs> and there's several things that are so dumb about this movie. But it was the kind of dumb where I'm just like, eh, you know, just laugh, have fun. Everybody knows this is stupid. But my gosh, I'm watching a giant ape, a giant flying wolf, and a giant lizard creature, crocodile, destroy a city. The Rock, to me, was nothing in this film. I mean, he was like an afterthought. I don't mm-hmm. even think there was a really a point for him really to be there. Yeah. The three creatures, I actually thought the animation on this film was actually pretty good. Better than I expected. So I had fun with it. Did I think at all during the film? No. Did my brain, my brain went and did something else. It was doing chores somewhere else in the house. I'm just vegging out watching nothing but these creatures destroy each other. Um, I thought it was a decent fun time. I'll even say my 11 year old who has become a pretty critical. He's pretty critical about films nowadays. He doesn't just watch anything. He can watch something and say, yeah, that wasn't really good. He saw the previews for Rampage. He saw all the information about it. And he's like, yeah, dad, that just doesn't look good. I said, well, you know what? I'm still going to watch it. Mm-hmm. And the other day, I'm like, I have it up. I'm queued up. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch this film. Nick, do you want to watch it? And he's like, well, I guess. I don't really have anything else going on. <laughs> Even Nick at the end of the film said, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So that is my recommendation for a film that's not as bad as you may think it's going to be. It's still bad. But I thought it was good, dumb fun. So dumb, Rampage. There's something, there's something to be said for dumb fun. Yeah. Um, sometimes turn your mind off, dumb fun. Um, I did see the movie. Uh, <laughs> I know it was, you did. Thought it, was, <laughs> thought it was dumb. Didn't yep. have enough fun. But I can see how a different mindset would yes. probably, you know, dumb, dumb fun. I, I think actually what hurt the movie for me, I like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He just seems like a fun guy. Um, I haven't seen Skyscraper, thank goodness. We didn't have to go see it for this show, so I haven't seen it. He's not, other than... Other than uh, Jumanji, he just really hasn't had a good film. Uh, right. I mean, he just did, he did some of the Journey to the Center of the Earth. He did some movie with Kevin Hart that I didn't see. Um, but I like I like him as a person. He just seems like he's kind of funny. He doesn't take himself too seriously. I did like him in Southland Tales, but that's a whole different <laughs> yeah, whatever movie. Um, but I guess what made me think this was going to be better than it was. So it's expectations. Yeah, is the fact of the Jumanji movie. So I saw that, which I was expecting that to be garbage and went to see it with my kids because they really wanted to see it. And I was like, oh, that was actually kind of fun. Some parts of it were dumb, sure. But that for me was dumb fun. And so I went into Rampage thinking I was going to have the same experience and I had a woefully different one. But there again, I put more of that on me, expectations. No, it's it's fine. It's it's not a good movie. I mean, (laughs) the villains are stupid right the plot is makes no sense um the guy uh that's from the walking dead who plays uh jeffrey dean morgan he's on the walking dead as negan the kind of the big bad guy but he's in this film as i guess a government agent and he's hamming it up so so bad right um Naomi Harris is wasted as the uh, lead scientist. She's not drunk. Let's clear that up. She's right. wasted no, as a you know, After seeing Moonlight and then you see her do this, you're like, oh, come oh. on. What are you doing? Right. So, yeah, it's bad all the way around in those areas. But, again, I had fun with it because I went in knowing I'm just not going to think. I'm not going to try to analyze anything. Sure. I mean, sure. The bad guys have a video arcade machine back in the background of their office and it's the game rampage and it's like okay i have a question everybody's just in on the joke they know they're having fun with this i did appreciate the fact they showed that were there two arcade games i don't remember i wanted i thought there were and i wanted to know what the other one was because one was clearly rampage oh you're saying in their their office yeah i feel like there were two game cabinets there and the funny thing is i want to say there again i've only seen it once so there's no way I want to say the other one was Joust, uh-huh. <laughs> which would be hilarious. And if they try to make a movie of that, just like they made a movie of Rampage, who thought they could possibly make a movie of it? 
If they oh, made I totally, a, I totally envisioned a movie of, about Rampage. The movie that's just that's just me. So a movie about joust with people with lances totally on flying that. ostriches. Absolutely, that would be amazing. <laughs> Absolutely, flying ostriches, dropping eggs everywhere, right. jousting people left and right. Absolutely, right. that'd be funny. So I want to know if, if any, any of our listeners <laughs> they're trying a, to like drop an Easter egg about a new film they're working yeah, on. Yeah, if anybody has actually seen Rampage and can tell me what that second video game cabinet, or maybe I'm hallucinating because I was delirious and watching the movie, but. I think there was a second video game cabinet. So I haven't Sorry. rated this on Letterboxd yet. I'm trying to decide. I'm wavering between a a two, which is kind of sad to think I'm recommending a film I would give a two stars to. But you've openly but said dumb fun. Yeah, and I'm saying if you go in with a one star expectation, you may actually find two stars of entertainment out of it. Right. Or maybe I'm feeling a little more generous. Maybe I go two and a half. But <laughs> I'm somewhere in that neighborhood. So. Oh. Anyway, out of five. Sure. Yeah, with that. Well, the holidays are coming up. Sometimes just yeah. dumb, dumb family. You know, you want to have something just kind of fun on the background. You don't really have to follow the story. You just want to see some interesting action sequences. And what I think is some decent CGI work on the, uh, the creatures, especially the ape, I thought was actually pretty good. Um, so anyway, yeah. Brad Payton's the director. I didn't even mention the director. I don't know if this film was actually directed <laughs> or just created in a computer somewhere. But sure. Brad Payton is listed as the director. So. Thanks, Brad. You made a film that was actually a little better than I thought it was going to be. So. <laughs> okay. Well, yes. Yeah. Gl- raise the level of, of, you know, uh, of film discourse here for us. Chris, here, here's the thing. Yeah. Um, I am going to recommend a film that I wouldn't say is a one star, um, but I don't know. I would definitely would give it five or four. Um, oh. But the reason we, I recommend- we're both kind of slumming a little bit this week. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, which I guess I have on my side. A lot of people really do like this movie. Okay. Um, but it was low budget, which right there kind of sets an expectation, which I knew going in. But it is Neither the Living Dead from 1968. Oh. So it is celebrating. Actually, it came out October 4th, 1968. So it has just celebrated its 50th anniversary. Right. I watched it out of curiosity because I'd heard it was the 50th anniversary of this movie. I'd never seen it, but of course you mentioned the walking dead like mere seconds ago. This thing started, it wasn't technically, it's been proven that it wasn't the first movie that had like, you know, dead people walking around the first quote unquote zombie movie, but it was one of the first big ones that really kind of made a splash. So I wanted to see, you know, what it was all about. What was really surprising to me. And I guess because it came out in 1968 you know, it's shot in black and white. The special effects are pretty minimal, but even like the horror effects are a lot of it's like, and I guess maybe because of budget constraints off screen, but it's still fairly effective and mm. they still build up some suspense and what they bother to do, which is kind of surprising because you'd figure low budget. Yeah. All it's going to be is a bunch of things jumping out and, you know, killing things. They actually tried to have quite a bit of commentary. Um, there's some, there's some racial commentary because one of the characters is African American and he has some friction with um another gentleman who's white who, you know, thinks you know, disagrees with him about making decisions, so there's some power play going on there. Mm-hmm. Um it's there's just more there than I would have thought yeah. would have actually been in what, you know, prior to watching it's like, Oh yeah, it's just a dumb zombie movie. But there's a little bit more going on sure. in there. Um also, without giving anything away, the end was a lot was was very it was surprising to me how they kind of ended it and mm-hmm. was more impactful than yeah. I would have thought. Not that the movies yeah, I said there's some, you know, racial discussions going on there, but the end just kind of was like, whoa, kind of got heavy really quick out of nowhere. Yeah. Sure. Um so kind of surprising for that. So if you've never seen it, maybe the fiftieth anniversary is a chance well, for you to catch Halloween up with coming it. up in a few weeks. And it too. is Halloween. So mm-hmm. that was the other it's reason I, I usually try to suggest a a scary movie or a Halloween movie around this time of year when we have the podcast. So that's my suggestion. Uh, not the living dead. So right, fair enough. I think it's a good one, especially a timely one. So sure. That's great. Well, that's our recommendations. It's not like either of us were giving necessarily five star recommendations here, but Night of the living dead is definitely a more uh, culturally impactful film. And something sure. I think it's worth checking out. Um, Rampage has no cultural significance <laughs> at all, but again, dumb fun for an hour and a half uh, to turn your brain off. So with that, we're going to get ready to close out the show. Uh, it looks like we had a great review of American animals that we are both very, very high on yes, as a film. There's a film that we've talked That's about that we are film. extremely high on. Yes. Very, very high on that. 
We did some recap of the Foot Candle Film Festival, the 2018 version that we just completed this past weekend. And then we gave our recommendations, which were Night of the Living Dead and Rampage. So with that, we're going to get ready to close out. But Chris, I know some people probably have some things to say, um, <laughs> either about the film festival if they attended or about their undying love for Rampage. And Could they're going to back me on that. If they've got any topic relating to today's episode or, or our show in general, how can they how can they contact us or, or get connected with us? You can send us an email at info at the mesh TV and just mention Foot Candle Films in the subject line. Or there's also, we do have a Twitter account. It's at Foot Candle Film. And we also are on Facebook. You can find us there and send messages as well. Those are three really good ways you can get in touch with us. Alan and I also have letterboxed accounts where we try to more or less try to keep track of the films we're watching. (laughs) (laughs) I got to catch back up on it. Yeah, I mean, but that's just also a good way to kind of see what we're watching. Or you can leave comments on some short reviews that we'll do on that side as well. Great. So we will be back uh, next time with uh, our featured film review and possibly a second film review and some movie news and recommendations as well. So we know one of the films we'll be reviewing is the smaller independent film puzzle. Other than that, toss up audience. You can email us in at info at the mesh TV and maybe influence which one we see. Will it be monster Gaga in a star is born or will oh, yeah. we see monster Tom Hardy in venom? Oh, so toss up, there. toss up review mm-hmm. there. And I think Gaga calls her followers monsters or little monsters. Yes. Yeah, like so you're kind of, you tied those together really nicely. There. I mean, it's yeah. what we do here at the mesh and a lot of research, a lot yeah. of research involved. <laughs> All right. Well, great. So, yes, we will be reviewing two films at our next episode, as well as some news and our recommendation of that episode. So thanks for listening. Uh, Keep us posted on your thoughts and questions. And uh, we'll be with you next time we record an episode. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.